Hey y'all, today I got to interview Seth Webster of To Speak of Wolves and Old Sleeper. Uh, we got a lot of knowledge and a lot of advice from him. Um, I really hope you enjoy this very first interview of Base to Base. Please give me feedback. Please listen to uh, Old Sleeper and To Speak of Wolves. Um, and I really hope you enjoy it. If you stick to the end, you might find out what a uh, barbecue Seth likes the most. So when, do you, when did music start like... Uh playing a role in your life when you knew it was something like you wanted to do or like where it really just caught your attention? Well, I, I had moments of, of it as a younger kid. Like when I was in fifth grade, my mom convinced me to um, play violin. And so I got violin lessons for a year. Uh, I joined the choir, which that singing has always really weirded me out because it's like, any instrument you play, somebody goes, play a G, you're like, uh. Yeah. And if you're supposed to sing one, that just sounds like the most terrifying space to be in. Um, and then I did, I played in band in uh, middle school into high school. Um, I, I feel like it was just a thing. My dad was always like pushing sports and my mom was like, I know that you don't feel this way, but you should play music. And, and so in middle school, I tried out and the band director was like, you really, we feel like you have something special. Like, you know, I, I and so they convinced me to play French horn. I did that for five years. Uh, and then when I got to high school, I just, I was like, I'm going to play football, even though I was five foot five and 130 pounds. Uh, I did grow. Uh, as as those who have seen me in real life know but it just was like something I was really serious about it because I thought it might make my dad think I was cool and my mom was like I think you should play music and uh, about that time like I started listening to really heavy music and um, my sophomore year a buddy showed me Bless the Martyr Kiss the Child by Norma Jean and I was like this is this is my music this is me and uh that year I begged my parents to buy me a bass and uh, I got one for Christmas and that was kind of the beginning of the end. I practiced so much. My parents threatened to take it away from me. I just was like, I was bound and determined to be proficient and knowledgeable. And uh, the next year I was like already trying to start bands and, and all those different bits. So it's been, it's been pretty early uh, that it got its roots in there. And now I'm 34 and still, <laughs> yes. still that guy. That's um, awesome. So Norma Jean, like, uh, like did hearing their music uh, just inspire you to play bass or, or like, it, no, because I mean, that kind of music, bass playing isn't a centerpiece. The church that I grew up in, we played funk and gospel. And so a lot of the like really technical elements that became mainstays in my playing came from that. Um, like really loud, really black gospel music. Uh, it was so much fun to play. And all those guys know so much theory. And so you're learning to play songs that have like 10 key changes sometimes. And it hurts your brain as a young person, but it, it really put me in a place of where I could learn things quickly. And, and that like mathematical kind of thing of where, okay, this is the shape that this riff or, or this chorus or whatever is. 
and we're going to move it up a whole step. And because I'm playing on a bass, I know that's two frets up and, and then just making the shape and compensating for the open tones and all those other things that happened moving into metal was really more about like the, the heart of the music when the things I was listening to were, you know, like Deftones and corn uh, was, was breaking. Um, there's a band called flaw that I really love. Their bass player did some really intricate work. And so I paid a lot of attention to them. Rob zombie, uh, you know, stuff that made my mom kind of like afraid that, you know, I was going to paint my room black and, you know, make a deal with the devil or something. Um, and, and so I liked that music, but there was like a, I don't know, there was like a tension because it wasn't, I, I feel like looking back, I could articulate it. It wasn't pissed off enough. And so when I heard Norma Jean, like cause, uh, the buddy that showed me Norma Jean is a kid named Ryan Ropka, uh, who was like, like a big crust punk at the time, but he showed me thrice in this band called Sinai Beach. <sighs> Uh, a bunch of like the really early face down stuff and it was grittier and I was like, ah, it's just not all the way there because it was more of like the punk influence at the time, um, which I liked, but it, but it just, it wasn't all the way that moment of like when he put on that song uh, face face and it just starts out those, those really nasty um, <laughs> dissonant chords. I just was like, Oh my God. And we sat in his car and probably listened to four songs and then by the time by the time we ended, I think we just listened to like three or four in the middle. And so I got to the shotgun message, which is I think it's like a minute and twenty seconds, something like that. It's just absolute ferocity. And I was like, okay, this is the kind of music I want to play. Uh, it, it 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 was inspiring, but it was really more of like I felt like I found home. And uh, and and so I you know just been trying to play music like that for uh 16 years <laughs> yeah yeah um and i think norma jean was like my dog's excited puppies <laughs> uh i think norma jean for a lot of people like introduced like the dissonance kind of like chords and and the chaos i guess for hardcore um so i want to just go back to you when you mentioned you played a bass like at at church do you think that um you like going in band or being in band helped you uh, play bass? Like, were you able to, like you were saying, there's like different key changes and stuff like that. Like, was just your knowledge of being in band, uh, were you able to like use that when you're playing bass for church? It didn't directly translate. I would say that the development of my ear what definitely translated, but it was like subconscious. You're you know, in band, everything is sheet music, or at least that's the way that I understood it because I hadn't really committed myself to being a student of it. I was like, okay, I know how to read this clef. I know how to, you know, I know the, the valves to move to play this note, but it wasn't, it wasn't until I was in church where, you know, a lot of it's like fly by the seat of the pants. Sometimes it's, you know, you have to just watch the piano player's left hand to try and figure out where you're at because things are moving and if you don't, if you don't uh, pay attention or, or like have something that you can anchor to, you're just lost. Also, most of the guys, as brilliant as they were musicians, like they were all self-taught. Um, and so there, there was like breakdowns in translation. Like 
they were guys who were already playing off of um, numbers instead of sheet music. And so, you know, sometimes you'd have a guy come in like a, a guest artist and he'd bring sheet music and they'd all laugh and be like, just play, man, we'll figure it out. And so coming from like the academic standpoint and then, and then the church thing, it, it filled in a lot of the middle. And it, I think it was scary enough that it really like, it really had an impact because you didn't want to be the guy up there missing a note or missing what was going on. I'll never forget. There's a guy named Steve Collins who was a big, one of the band leaders that I played under, but we would play a set that he's just screaming notes in your ears. And, and like, and that's just how you play. He's not like mad, but he's like, he's like deciding where everything's going to go. And you're just like, Oh shit. Okay. And th doing that made, you know, like you get a phone call from a band and they're like, here's eight songs we want to take you out. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll try out. We'll see, like we have some tabs or we don't have any, or we want to see what you'll do. Being put in a position where you have music that you have to be able to accomplish and you have like varying degrees of information on it. That hot seat kind of space that I existed in in church really was the biggest theory bit. I feel like that translated to metal and metal. So abstract in the way of like, it has a lot of structure, but it's structure built around like a crazy guitar trick that a guy did and <laughs> you build off of this. And so you're, you're learning the notes, but it's also like the way that it gets played. It has a different emphasis than when, you know, it's a gospel song and it's really just about like, as long as you, as long as you walk in, you know, G sharp or whatever, like you're fine in metal. It's like, you have the moments of where you can branch out and do something different, but the, the meat of the song is going to be like, we all got to play this riff. You got to play it fast enough. You got to play it clean enough. And you know, you got to do it on this part of the fretboard. And so it, it was an interesting marriage for sure. Awesome. Um, so you, you mentioned that uh, like being in church and having those crazy changes, like prepared you for when people sent you songs to learn or like, tabs or chords or whatever is that how you started getting involved like in the like the bigger industry like a, kind of above the local scene like with speak of wolves or any bands like that so i was in a band in town called silence messenger for a long time learning those songs was a bit of sitting down there were two guitarists that wrote and so i would sit with the guy that wrote the song uh and then i think like the tryout bit or whatever they just sent me something and i I, I like learned what I could. Uh, I was still in like the budding stages, I feel mm. like. And so I, I was not proficient enough to accomplish learning a whole song just by listening to it. And, you know, cards on the table, even though I had been listening to heavier things like Steve, their singer, who is in Within the Ruins now, um, he sent me like All Shall Perish, the first Amir record, a band called A Thousand Times Repent. Like, Whitechapel, just stuff that was like way heavier than I had ever played. And so the lower tunings and the things like that were, were also kind of a learning curve that um, being in that band taught me a lot about that. We started out playing in drop C and by the end of it, dudes were playing eight strings and we were playing in like drop F sharp. We had a song in drop E. Um, and so the spectrum of sound changed and and truthfully with bass a lot of it ends up becoming inaudible depending on the way that you you play it or your tone and things so 
I spent a lot of time learning there, but the first sign band I played in before there was Rosalind played in A sharp. And so it was hilarious to go from playing music in such a low tuning to doing something that it felt significantly more audible than, than what I was doing before. And so I learned those songs on my own. Like it began this thing that I do of where I learned the way the song goes first, like, and then, and then break it apart into chunks of where like, okay, this is the verse riff, this is the chorus riff. You end up kind of making names for things just for the sake of categorizing it. But so I, I learned the meat of them that way. And then uh, Trent Gibson, their, their main guitarist when I joined uh, would, you know, just kind of fill in the blanks. Like maybe I, I knew how the riff went, but I didn't know how to play it. And I knew the places it went in the songs. And so I just, learn the riff real quick and then, and then boom. And so that, that ended up serving me really well on into uh, it. As you, as you get, I don't know, as you get further along, I feel like you're touring with guys that already know you outside of the context of touring their band. And so like learning the stuff in No Sleeper has been, Shane sends me the songs that we're going to play or like a mix or whatever. And I'll just learn them in that way of like, I know where the puzzle pieces go. I just may not know what's on the piece. And then we'll video chat for 15 minutes and I'll just learn the things I couldn't figure out what he was doing. Uh, Cause he writes weird things, you know? <laughs> and, and it's cool though, because each time throughout, like I did the before there was Rosalind stuff, uh, upon a burning body to speak of wolves, all of them had some varying degree of, I could be exposed to the music before I went into the room and then, there's always that that atmosphere of like you you kind of got to get it from the horse's mouth to really know what it is as well um which really just to just to brag about him like when i started playing for a pawn um ruben was moving into taking over guitar so he was teaching me bass and learning leads and watching him do that he was just a machine like he just, he would sit for hours and hours and hours. And that really, I'm moving through it quickly, but that sitting with things for that long is really the only way that you get to where you can, you know, you can do it moving forward is like, you've just done something a thousand times enough that, Oh, Hey, this sounds like this. And you start, you know, you start to piece it together. Yeah. Um, so what, what tuning does, um, Oh Sleeper play in? We, we do a variety of things, um, but uh, it's top secret. Oh, gotcha. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, we do, it's uh, the first two, the first record was drop C, the second was drop D, and then from Children of Fire forward is kind of like a mashup of, you know, just depending on what he was feeling. Um, the most interesting of which uh, I think would be regarded as being like the Hush YL tuning which is uh, the first two strings are only a whole step away from each other, which makes fretting stuff and the way that like the things you can accomplish, it becomes really fun. I'd never, um, I'd never played around with anything in that way. I, I pretty much was like, you know, my, my job in the band is pretty bread and butter. So I'm going to stick with that, but he's really, really creative. And um, I think like 
he decided he's like, you know what, I'm going to learn mandolin. <laughs> and he just does stuff like that. So it, it's, it's really entertaining how him learning other instruments has the potential to translate to the way that he sees guitar. And so truth be told, and, and it makes it a lot more fun for me that there's no telling what he'll throw at us. And, and it, it's a fun space. It can be kind of nerve wracking when you first hear it. You're just like, what in the world? But there, there's a bit of like a competitive edge as well where you, if it's your personality, like it is mine, I just never wanted to go to band practice, not at least being in a space where we're like, okay, after about 10 minutes, like we're just going to do this. Like you don't have to spend a lot of time on me. I like being high output, low input. Um, and no one, no one really digs having to spend a lot of time teaching a guy. Like it's tough to inspire confidence um, when you, you know, when you don't show up prepared. So yeah, I yeah. definitely f feel that for sure. Um, what What's your approach when you're um, like writing or not, and not just writing, like when you're gear, when it comes to playing like in lower tunings? Because um, I know like, you know, not every string, not all strings aren't going to sound good low. Like how yeah. do you, uh, like what's your approach when you're playing like low tunings or anything well, like getting, that? Well, getting the bass set up for it, is of the utmost important i i i know this isn't directly the answer to the question but i always start with this like if you're going to play an instrument learning the learning the way that it is able to work will enable you to to make those decisions when you go into something that are going to help you as opposed to hindering you like if you try and play a bass that you got off the the wall at a guitar center and you want to tune it down to a even it's going to sound terrible the strings will be super floppy. You know, they, the factory stuff is, is something like, you know, the E strings, like an 85, 65, and they just get, you know, they're just too small to do that with, in my opinion. Now, crazy part is in my travels, I met a lot of guys that didn't think about any of that. And it was always really strange to me. Um, me, so all that's to say, learn how to set your bass up. Even if you don't do like, it's always good to have like a luthier buddy that like has the ability to look at it and know the bounds a little more than you just like cranking the shit out of the truss rod or whatever when you get it out of the box. But knowing how to make, maintain it, like if you're touring and you go from different climates, just moving around in, in the case in the trailer, like whatever it is, it's good to be able to get into a place and be like, okay, I'm going to make sure all my stuff's in order so I can play. Um, and the thing about bass that I've experienced is that like it's really easy to be really bad and go completely unnoticed. And so it's kind of like one of those scouts honor moments of if you want to do it really well, um, you know, there's just as much maintenance that can be done as any other instrument. Uh, and so for me specifically tone wise, push the mids, like especially in lower frequencies, if you scoop them out, mids are the, the audible spectrum to the human ear. And so if you take them out, you just have like, something percussive which truthfully if you're fieldy or jason newstead that's cool but that doesn't work for everybody um i it, you know and you start using distortion and things like that and so it's really just a matter of i think that giving yourself the space of like three or four sit-ins with something like start out 
build it to the best you can and remember that your ears are going to get fatigued. And so like when you feel like you get the farthest you can, like set it down, give yourself a day, eight hours, whatever, uh, and then come back to it because your ears will, will get worn out, especially as you're doing things like with distortion and overdrive. And so give yourself the space to really like hear it instead of trying to motor through doing it in the day. Although, you know, sometimes you can only do what you can do. And then listening to the mixes of, you know, what the guitars are doing as a bass player, I like to sound like the drums as far as the tonal quality is concerned or make like Jonathan and I um, in Silence the Messenger and Upon a Burning Body both, uh, his toms were tuned to the strings of the bass. They're not the same, obviously, because it manifests different, but, but it just so it was like we're operating in the same space. Um, and, it, and it ended up turning out pretty cool most of the time. And I wasn't taken away from the kick drum and he wasn't taken away from the bass tone. And so it ended up working out pretty cool. Like you have this really driving, like locomotive kind of feel instead of it. You, a lot of guys don't really get live noise cancellation and how they can accomplish that. And so to me, that was always something I, I wanted to make sure I wasn't stepping on the guitar. I wasn't stepping on the drums. And, and I was like in that space that I'm supposed to occupy. Uh, and just a rule of thumb, most of the time, really cool bass tone sounds like shit by itself. Like uh, Led Zeppelin has some of my favorite bass tones. And if you listen to it isolated, like it sounds like someone farting on a paper plate. Like it is <laughs> oh, not, okay. it is not good. But again, you're thinking of the whole as opposed to uh, what you're doing by yourself is, is always a thing to have in mind. Cause truth, truth be told, if you're a bass player, like you're a support guy, like you're, you know, you're, you're the guy behind the superheroes. And I, if you embrace that, it can be really rewarding because um, having those people regard you as being super valuable has been one of the most uh, treasured moments that I've had of, you know, just being like, cause it's the, it's the kind of dude that I try to be as well. Like, you know, you want to be dependable, you want to be sturdy, you don't complain, you don't need a lot of attention. Um, I feel like you can you can let your playing imbue that and you're just like look i'm i want the guitars to do the guitar thing with the drums and the vocal everybody to have their space and i'm you know i'm gonna keep us on time i'm gonna i'm gonna know where we're going and, and all those things and yeah it's it's fun yeah that's very well said. oh sorry mm -hmm. forgive me i forgot so the strings a thing that i like to do and it's a comfort because i play really hard i like to use I, what would be regarded probably as oversized strings um, just because you know what you're getting into. Like I have a, uh, I have two stingrays that I have built to play in a sleeper. Uh, the drop C bass I play, it's a 110, uh, 85, 65, 55, I think, or 45, I'm sorry. And then the, the, the drop A bass, it's, the same the 85 65 45 and then i have uh i play a 130 for the low b um or for the a rather and and then you know my my action and stuff are lower and the setups tighter it's just because i when when you're doing triplet stuff and things like that you want it to be able to be articulated i've i've found that anything looser or smaller you get a lot of slap back on the pickups that's not good i'm um, in sounding really clean and precise and 
they just feel like noodles too fast. Um, so, and keep your strings clean. Keeping sweat off of them and not allowing them to sort of oxidize in that way, you get, you get some, some significant extra life out of them, I've found as well. Oh, nice. Do you boil your strings? Or have you boiled I do not. I, I want to say, like, way back in the day when, like, we were so... <laughs> well, I just was always... Uh, I feel like in the scene a little bit, people kind of hated on STM because of our gear. Uh, but we really like, we were five dudes that like, we paid for a storage unit and we practiced for like four hours, six days a week. We had no life. Like I, lots of times I paid rent, I paid groceries, I paid my cell phone and I paid our storage unit. And I, you know, I'd have like $75 left in my bank account. It just, it was like we band stuff always came first. And so I've, I've always tried to keep that of where, even if, you know, I'm eating like, granola bars and stuff instead of buying food out it was like i i have to i have to bring out the very best that i can afford so that we sound good so the hopes of growth uh for me it was like i, I just wanted to make sure i felt like i was doing everything i could do and then fortunately once you start playing in sign bands like you know you get a pretty good discount on strings or like they want to send you some as long as you shout them out and so that that makes it a little bit easier uh but it, you know, it's always worth it. If you want to sound your best, you know, if you invest in it, it's going to be good. Boiling your strings. I, I've read a lot about dudes that swear by it. And then other people that say it's like an old wives tale. And um, so I don't think I've ever done it. Truth be told. Yeah, I haven't either. Uh, I was just curious. Um, you mentioned STM and y'all having like amazing gear and i totally remember that i don't know if you remember but you beat us in one of these contesting yeah we were super salty we were really salty i remember i'll never forget darren's (laughs) face i was like bro you guys sounded sick and he's like thanks and i was like oh yeah we're in a competition i forgot yeah um yeah i mean (laughs) like looking back though at everything like y'all totally deserved it then and just Hearing like the quality and stuff, it was it was great, but uh, yeah, we were, well, we were super salty then. <laughs> uh, well, and it's such an interest. Like I, I don't know what it's like now, but you know, there's there's definitely that thing that it that exists and that of like one of one of the group of dudes that I met that that I was friends with all of them, but it was really interesting the way that they they went about what they were doing. Uh, the the STS guys the sworn to secrecy, like they were huge in San Antonio and Steve-O would laugh because he was playing like a Squire telly through like a PV valve King or something. And, and it just was like, there's something cool about the magic can happen any kind of way. Um, but for, for us, you know, like James and Anthony worked at guitar center. We, Paolo, Paolo and I just kind of naturally were like, we wanted to know what gear was like the best we could do. Um, and so, like I say, it's just, it was always what we spent all our money on. And so by the time we got up there, it was like, man, if we, if we can't win this, like it's on us. And, uh, and so, but I, I appreciate that. It was, those are the, those are the memories though, that I, you know, it, it made like when we did me and me and Darren did the, uh, the man a million stuff. And uh, we, we both got to play guitar. Like, it just was fun, even in, you know, your local 
scene of like the the roster starts to be like you know the world's much smaller of that and and you get to eventually you might get to make noise with with some guys that you've you know really looked up to their playing and i still like when he puts a video on instagram or whatever i'm like Ooh, what's Dan doing and he's always like selling stuff and you know all this all this other it's um there's another kid dude eugene sanchez is like a hidden san antonio gym that guy shreds and everything he does he's he is such a good bass player and i feel like yeah i feel like san antonio <laughs> knows that now but it's like i'm waiting to have someone go like dude we need a bass player and i can just be like boop and because i i want to i want to see that dude get his he is disgusting at phenomenal bass. talk about like great gear too uh, I'm oh, actually yeah. going to have him too. I'm going to talk to him. Uh, nice. I'm going to interview him, talk about all his gear and stuff. That should be pretty fun. Yeah, yeah no, he, he know he knows it is. I, it's always cool when you, when you see a guy who's completely immersed themselves in the world that they, you know, it's like people will always be like, Oh yeah. You know, but it's like seeing somebody really care about it. I think he just bought like a Tosin Abasi signature. Like he just like, nah, I'm just going to play an eight string because you know, why not? or a nine or whatever it is. He's just, he's so, he's been like, he's been a person and I, I've been bit pretty bummed during COVID because we, oh, Sleeper was on hands down the most, like the most fun I've ever had on a tour. All the bands got along. Everybody sang everybody's songs every night. It just was a total bro fest. I was destroying the universe at merch. It just is like the feeling of the, the culmination of everything that you work for, like firing on all, firing on all cylinders and then it just nose diving into the mountains. Um, but watching him do his thing, like I've, I've felt inspired several times by just watching him be like, this is me doing this. And you're just like, go away, you talented <laughs> alien. Yeah, but but then me being like, okay, I I can pick up a bass today because, you know, I I want to I want to be as diligent as this guy who's, you know, just kind of hanging out at home right now. So it, yeah, I I think that's the thing too. Side note, it's like it's always good to allow yourselves to admire and and embrace the talent of the people that you're exposed to because the the idea of the best is such a frivolous thing it's like really just work to be good at what you want to do and i feel like eventually you'll be recognized by the parties that you know will make some difference about it so awesome awesome um so i want you were talking about touring i just wanted to see what what you think like the future is for touring um or just thoughts Uh, on it in general Living in Nashville, uh, the, the ear to the ground, you um, you hear lots of things. I've also I've also stage managed for uh, for some artists and things like that. So there will there will be pockets of I, I think like bands that are bigger uh, that can do like a drive-in theater and, and things like that. Um, I think that they're going to be the first ones back to quote unquote normal as far as like the numbers and the money that they're able to bring in. I think that bands like my band that tour, you know, five in between 500 cap and a thousand cap rooms when they go on tour and smaller, 
uh, we're the ones that will be the last back in the door because you're in you're in a venue it's an enclosed space and until that's really deemed safe again it's just not you know it's just not going to happen i don't think and things have been postponed i think uh the the killed and born again tour that we were on at least the last i heard of it they had pushed it back to the end of next august uh, i would love to believe that that you know that things like that will turn out but i i have a pretty pessimistic view uh, because, you know, we keep, like in Nashville, we keep going back and forth in between which, um, which like stage of quarantine we're in. And, and so I, I feel like politically the things that we're seeing of where, you know, people are treating it as, as a political affiliation as opposed to um, a medical thing. And we're arguing about the merits of it, you know, if it's even necessary or not and different you know, different um, experts are arguing with each other. And so I, I feel like that the real answer is somewhere. And, and when we find it, I think that that will, will be the beginning of it. But people don't seem to be working to be very considerate of each other either. And I, I think that that's the bit that's really making the dynamic the way that it is. And I mean, you've seen lots of different people, you know, there are bands that employ like 30 people that are making nothing. And it's, uh, it's pretty, it's pretty diabolical. Like, like I said, I've, I've spent a pretty good bit of this being, you know, just really bummed and, and just watching, you know, like venues closed down chain reaction just announced that they're having to shut their doors. And, uh, you know, there's lots of stories like that. And then places that, you know, they're, they're turning their ingenuity into, into to something worth it. Like uh, Seth Keen at Outland Ballroom in, in um, Springfield, Missouri, like he opened this really rad, like dairy-free ice cream shop. And so there, there's lots of, there's lots of things, both directions, but I mean, like just thinking about chain reaction and whatever venue in, in your, your own hometown, you know, whoever it is listening to this, like, there's, you know, you can think of three or four places that have already had to shut down just because it's like they're they're not they're not going to put their employees in that space and they just really can't like do it. And then here, a frustrating thing is, you know, artists are all like really trying to figure some shit out to make it through. And you know, some of the bars will open up for four thousand tourists, and then we, you know, we go three steps back. And so it's it's been it's been a really difficult um, set of circumstances for sure. Yeah, um, so I want to talk about uh, some posts I did. Like, it was like, I think I was talking about no bragging rights, and I had, like, I don't know if I pirated or I got so, their albums somehow. And, like, they're one of my favorite bands, too. So, like, I was just like, hey, y'all should listen to this. Um, and you're just like, you should, you should buy that album. <laughs> and uh, that always, like, that always just stuck with me because I'm just like, he's right like that's the way to support and i think like right now especially is the time to support like your favorite artist uh since there's yeah. a touring and things like that going on no i agree we uh sleeper just did a merch drop like we're we're trying to stay creative all while you know we're we're trying to to juggle and and figure stuff out with you know what is what is life you know i I've, I've only had jobs that have to do with events 
because I'm a touring musician for more than a decade. You know, people that people that know I'm going to leave and let me go because they're not like inconsistent, but it's not, I don't need to be there, you know, five, five days a week either. And so coming back home to that and like the restaurant that I do events at, they haven't been open. They weren't open from April to the middle of this month. And they're still, you know, the gathering of a couple hundred people like just isn't happening. And so there's, there's still really not much for me to do. And I work on TV sets sometimes. Fortunately, those things are kind of starting to come back, back around. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know what my end of year is going to look like. And then for some family stuff, it's like, is it worth going back to work and potential, potentially exposing, you know, some of my older and, and sick family members? Or is it just like, just eat it, you know, work off of what you have in savings and wait for what next year happens. And I think even for that, like I'm in a really fortunate space. My wife's been able to work from home too. And a lot of people don't have that option. And so, you know, I feel like I'm in a rock in between a rock and a hard place, but I know there's a lot of people that, you know, they're like fighting to make their rent and stuff because everything that they did, you know, got taken away as well. And so it, uh, it's hard. And, and I don't, it's funny. I don't remember commenting that, but it's probably around the, you know, the first or second band release I did. And you realize that, you know, getting signed almost always just means you owe somebody money now. You know, it's like, it's, it's rad. I mean, Solid State uh, has worked with a couple of the bands that I've played in and they've always, you know, been really great in that, you know, they, they let you do do your thing and 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 they've been supportive and and gotten us on some cool tours the different bands i've been in but you know it really is just like how much you know how much money do they recoup when you know when you put a record out and so it's like if you don't sell it you know they they don't make their money back you end up paying it out of pocket you know it's just like an it's not a good situation and i'm sure we were in that space of you know there's been this really big transition to you know, when, when guys put records out, like they press vinyl and do streams, like if they, if they're not contractually obligated, I, more, most guys that I know are like, we're not buying CDs. And if we buy CDs, we're only doing the number that we have to do because everything else is going to be digital. And, you know, that's, that's just the way that it works now. Um, but I, I'm happy that that was a happy thing <laughs> instead of it being like, yeah, shut up dude. Uh, yeah I no <laughs> i i it didn't come off like rude or whatever it was just it was like it was like an honest response and i think it was uh maybe you had just uh we're in the before those rosalind band yeah where i think it was around that time um oh dude <laughs> let, me, let me so people and i'm sure we were going to gravitate towards this but like to give you an idea and, and this is definitely a thing I wear as a, as a badge of honor, but like the first full American tour I did was two months long, which if you've ever been on tour, it's way too long. Six weeks, seven weeks is about like the sweet spot. And that's if you can play really great spaces in the U S. Um, but we were out for two months. There was a snowstorm in the middle of it that like seven shows canceled uh, over nine days. Our van broke down like, like broke down and caught on fire. Like it was an amazing experience. And I made $3 a day. That was my per diem. I'm six foot three at the time. I went on that tour weighing like 185. I went home weighing 160. 
the drummer who funny enough called me today. I hadn't talked to him in years, but the kid that playing drums worked at a candy factory in, in Tennessee. And we lived on that tour. I would spend my $3 on a cup of coffee in the morning. And then before I started my drive shift and I ate Twix, coconut M&Ms or Reese's peanut butter cups or something. And that like, I lived off that every once in a while, you know, there'd be catering or whatever, which is why I'll never eat little Caesars <laughs> ever again. But it's just those things of like, you go from playing in town where like you can play some rad shows and go home and eat a sandwich at your own house. When you can't do that, like you have to really, really want to be in a band um, to deal with, you know, what being in a band is. And uh, it's, it's great, but it's also terrible. <laughs> yeah i i did a uh we did a two-month tour um with this band called the lost project and like it we did it ourselves and like some days we're just even like looking for an open mic or something to do oh yeah it, it was pretty wild um definitely an experience when um, the, those can end up being some of like the best connections like i know for to speak of wolves we had uh we had an austin show cancel and these like four or five dudes were like, Hey, just come play at our house. And we're like, what? And like, yeah, we, we live in this like two story, you know, it's got a pretty open living room. Like you guys, you know, you guys aren't going to be able to play, just come play at our house. And we are like, okay. It ended up being dudes that like, uh, we still talk to some of them and it was one of the most fun shows that we've ever had. And it, and it would, there was a, an amount of heartbreak too. Cause like, when uh, Find Your Worth, Come Home, the first To Speak of Wolves release came out that I was a part of, we were supposed to go on a tour that was Love and Death headlining uh, Brian Welch's new band. Blessed by a Broken Heart was going to be direct support. We'd be third of five. And then there were like two two grower bands that, that Solid State was going to throw on the tour. And, and it caved because uh, Love and Death went on tour with P.O.D., which duh yeah so instead of being on this six week like amazing thing we ended up doing two weeks with harp and liar and so we just were over it and that show was right before uh south by so what and um uh south by southwest so we were doing a little texas circuit and it just was like it was just the breath of fresh air that that got us through uh something that was really difficult to stomach, just like not getting the shot that you believed you were. And we still like, we beat, I think we beat what they wanted us to do first week, but it was like, you're texting everybody in your phone and like being annoying on Facebook and just like messaging mm -hmm. people, just trying to like, just essentially being a door to door salesman. And I remember growing up being in Best Buy every Tuesday and, you know, buying everybody's record and so that that in general has been like a frustrating space uh, you know again to your question before i remember that and how excited i was and it's hard sometimes to see the way that fans and artists interact now and that uh, you I, I feel like people know way more about the artists that they follow than they ever have before and spend the least amount of money <laughs> But I mean, you know, it is it is what it is. I I am potentially guilty of it too, so it, I <laughs> I totally understand. Um, okay, so we'll start winding down a little bit. But uh, 
right now, how do you feel about like um, bands or artists looking into like trying to get signed versus trying to do things independently? Um, like people have distro kid and just options to yeah. distro your own stuff. Like what, what is the route that you would take now? Well, it's interesting. Uh, first I'll say this. I don't, I wouldn't call it a mistake, but because me being serious about music started where it did with, with silence the messenger, that was a band of five dudes that we were like, we don't care about anything else, but being in a band. Um, that's, that's the thing that I feel like you should work for first. Even if, you know, if you're the brains of the operation or like the nucleus of the creativity, I think that investing in what you know how to do as an individual is your, your best shot at being quote unquote successful. Uh, the second point is taking that word successful and having a very animated de definition of what that is. And when I say animated, um, for me personally, it's something that has to be fluid. If I get stuck thinking about a particular idea, it's very easy for me to feel discouraged because everything that you do is going to be scrutinized by people who have no, they have no stock in your, your pass or fail. And they're not you like art is supposed to stay. This is my earnest expression. And if you enjoy it, it is yours to digest. If you don't, you know, thanks. We'll, we'll see you next time maybe. And so all of that building the mental space, you know, I know guys that their first record did great and they hit the sophomore slump and it destroyed them. And, and I feel like it destroyed them not because of anything that was on them. I think they're just lots of people having the ability to voice their, displeasure uh you know because in their minds they weren't going i'm writing this for me they were like oh what you know what do fans want like it's always annoying to do something you're proud of and people shit on it but you're you also like the mental fortitude of i'm gonna stay the course as long as i get to make music i'm going to and then you know i arrive at my third point it's like there's no business on earth and i i encourage anyone to tell me of one that works this way, but there's no business on earth that gives away 25 to 30% of their income, whether it's gross or profit and, and functions, there's none. And, and so to me, the idea of the record label, the, the manager, the booking agent, they're all valuable when, you are a product that they can take you into the spaces that they occupy that you do not and make you more money. That's the only way that it ever makes sense for anybody. When you're like, when you're in the beginning and you get signed, you need a booking agent. You have to go into it knowing you're going to eat shit. And truthfully, so is the booking agent. Like it sucks to, you know, get paid $300 and, and have to give, you know, 60 of it away. But it's getting you in the door. Well, in the middle, if you don't grow past a certain point, you just start going on tour for free or you're not going on tour. And so all of that to say, if you can build yourself where you have markets where you're worth, you know, 50 to a hundred tickets, you can keep track of that. You can manage those relationships. And it's just, a, you know, meet the bar manager, meet the promoter, meet the talent buyer, like be in those emails and just shake those hands because if you go to a booking agency and you know that you're worth 200 tickets everywhere, 
that's something they can work with. If you're a band that's just kind of going where they send you and, you know, maybe crickets are the only thing that show up every night. Like nobody wins that way. And I, I feel like there's a lot of inflation that's kind of happened of where, you know, you puff up numbers or, or it's like a project perceived or, or, um, projected kind of idea instead of something that's a metric. Uh, that's the gray area that, you know, you stop getting asked on tours or, or whatever. And there's some politics involved that, you know, people will talk about, but all of that to say, I think that the more that you want to keep in your own hands, like doing your own pre-pro, maybe even learn mastering, like everything about the industry is moving into the more streamlined your, your business is the better. And so it's like print your own merch, make your own merch designs, learn Google ads, learn Facebook ads, like being a, being an artist, there there's an argument that's like, well, you know, I just should be creative. It's like part of being creative is how you maneuver the technology around what you're wanting to do. The medium changes because the way that people consume it changes. And so you have to learn Instagram, you have to learn Snapchat or, or like TikTok is the biggest one. Now it's like, I think TikTok's a really interesting platform and it kind of takes the things that made Vine cool and and sort of get, gave it a bit more space um but yeah I, I don't know it's i feel like that if you're a thinking person it's kind of hard not to loathe social media at least a little bit as well i it, that's my opinion but um and so all that to say in, in answer to your question running a mile instead of walking across the street you just learn everything that you can and the Again, I won't call it a mistake, but the thing that I didn't do was I could have stayed in that space of I want to learn how to do this myself instead of going along and kind of adding to other projects where they already had someone that that was kind of their gig. And, and, and I learned bits and pieces in that way. But if you're like, if you're in a local band right now and you can be the guy, you can be the quarterback invest all of the energy that you can, especially now where you can't play shows, like invest all of your energy in learning, you know, logic pro tools, um, Ableton. Um, there's another one that, uh, one of the guitarists and to speak of wolves used to do his pre pro find something, you know, like find some crazy Austrian bootleg thing that you can use just like whatever you can do to start chewing on the, like, the way that operating systems work, the, the, you know, the feng shui of quick keys, like all that stuff that you may never use the specific thing that you learned in the beginning. But if you, you start to get exposed to the process of how things work and the flows that can happen and what kind of samples do you like to use and everything else, these are all things that, you know, maybe when you're in a garage band won't make a huge difference, but like as you grow and you want to sound good and you don't, you know, you're playing in a hardcore band and you have, you have to fight to make sure your guitars don't sound like everybody else's guitars. Because if you write a super cool riff, but it sounds like another band, the people who don't play guitar that listen to music are gonna be like, Oh, it's the same thing. And it's like those, those little digs are, are what you have to fight against of it, it has to be yours, but you have to fight to articulate your uniqueness. And, and that's your artwork, which, which again, all boils down to the, like, if you learn to do it yourself, there's, there's no way for something to be more you than if you do everything yourself. And then if you do everything yourself, when you, when you get to a point where you're too busy to juggle it all, like you can sit down with a person and, and feel them out and be like, okay, 
I can hand you my baby and I trust you to do this component of it as opposed to like being forced to do that and getting artwork back that you don't like or you won't use. And it's like, but you've already spent the money and, and those things that they add up over time and, and the, the cost and frustration and things also, in my opinion, are just not worth it. If I could go back and, and this is just my personality as well, but there were a lot of times where if I had invested the time, I could have taken care of something that we were, we were forced to rely on another person to, to do. You're giving out gold and giving out gold. I, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I, I, I was saying this to someone the other day. If, if I can save someone the existential crises, crises <laughs> that I went through as a 20 something, like, one of the most compelling moments of playing music was, you know, quitting STM and just being like, I don't like, did I make this all up? Like, am I just an idiot? And, uh, and the phone ringing and it's Carlos from before there was Rosalind. And then, you know, the Rosalind ended and I found out and it was awful. And then Phil called me from to speak of wolves. And then, and then the, the upon a burning body thing happened the same way. And there were all these moments of where I, I ended up doing something along the lines of like taking a long walk by myself or staring out a window. And it just, it was like, am I an idiot for believing in this? And, and the time before Danny called me or it wasn't even Danny. It was, it was, um, it was John that called me the drummer. He, and I would always joke with him when he'd call me because we'd be like, let's go get tacos or whatever. And I'd always be like, oh, you guys need me to play in a pond? And he was like, actually, because I made the joke again, he was like, actually, and I just, you know, shit my pants. But literally the moments before I was staring out my sliding glass door at the house and be like, dude, you're an idiot. Like, you should have stayed in school. You, should, you know, you, you do that thing. And, and to me, what would have changed that part for me is if I, if I could record myself, if I could, you know, it's like, if I was learning all those things, that's the academia of being a musician. And I think it's great that it's so tangible now, whereas before when I, like when I started playing music, if you didn't have the money to have like your own studio, nothing you produced was going to be worth it. Well, now you can make a legit ass sounding record on a laptop and two, you know, speaker monitors. Like those are the things of where if you're, 16 17 18 years old if you can learn how to do that with any level of proficiency like you can work for a podcast you can work for a news station you can work for anything having to do with audio you can move into that and it's like don't go to college i already know all this stuff put me in front of something more complicated give me the user's manual like you're so that you can play music you're you're setting yourself up to be valuable in other arenas very close to that so that you know maybe your band never plays stadiums but if you have a good job um and and you know you're solid at it like your band can go on tour and not make an, an astronomical amount of money but you can still be quote unquote again deciding that successful bit because we play shows people come out we make money and merch we come you know we come home with something in our pocket but like that worry of is my whole life going to fall apart you know when i come home from this tour and I know that I spent, I, and I, I'm a bet it all guy. I'm a go big or go home. And so I know that that's part of what put me in that scenario. But looking back, had I had those things to invest in, I could have come home and been like, 
hey, I'll just, you know, I'll record a couple of new bands. Like, hey, come over. I'll do a demo. I'll, I'll do, you know, six songs for 500 bucks. We'll track everything, I'll, you know, whatever. And those are things that I know would have allowed me the feeling of a whole lot of stability that, um, you know, it, it ended up making good with, you know, people that worked in restaurants. They're like, yeah, we love you so much. Work when you can. You know, we'll be here when you're done being a musician. If I if I had money for every time the manager or the GM of a restaurant said that to me, I'd be rich, which is, it's a nice sentiment. But if I could go back, I'd learn all that stuff. And to be completely transparent, it was always a matter of like being so intimidated because it was like, if I'm bad at this, it's over. But the reality now, you know, neuroscience is really a good thing to study as as a musician as anybody I think, but as a musician, especially because they've proven that repetition is the way that you learn anything. You know, am I capable of playing guitar like Tosin Abasi if I work hard enough? Am I able to be as creative as him? Absolutely not. That dude's brain is golden from some other universe, but learning his techniques and things like that, everything comes from repetition. And so, if you're afraid and you're intimidated, you know, take into that. It's like, if I do this enough, if I, you can read something a thousand times, but if it takes that thousand and one for it to, you know, the, okay, the synaptic, the synaptic pathway has been created. And then, you know, you just work it. It's like, Oh, you know, I didn't hit space bar fast. And it's like, it's all just this really easy mechanical, logical process that you just submit yourself to it. Um, if I'm misquoting, you know, it is what it is, but I remember reading or hearing about the singer of, uh, and of course I can't think of their name now, the it's too late to apologize. Anyway, brilliant singer, brilliant musician. And he claims that he's, you know, he read a book about if you spend 10,000 hours doing something, you'll be, um, you'll be a master. And that's how he learned to sing new Republic. That's what it is. And it was like, this dude just, was like okay guys i'm gonna sing and they're like all right and he just did his thing and they were like how and he's like i've spent a lot of time hiding from everybody you know waiting until i feel like i was ready to do this and so however that manifests to you i mean that was a really inspiring story to me but i think there's a lot of people that uh you know because he just passed away eddie van halen like that dude was just like oh, i'm gonna i'm gonna learn how to play guitar and he just taught himself and in doing so developed you know, all these things that every guitarist does now because Eddie Van Halen did it. And, and so it's like that turning it back to the idea of the art is you and you doing a thing is what is your like spin. I think believing in that is potentially the most valuable thing that you can do for yourself as well. Wise words. Um, <laughs> I really appreciate your time. I'm going to wrap it up. But um, is there any uh, like anything you want to like share? Where can where can everyone everyone listen to you? And maybe any songs you wanna you want them to hear your bass shred on? <laughs> um, so, Fisher off of Bloodied Unbowed, the latest Sleeper record, is one of my favorite songs of all time. Video is really cool too. Yeah, it was so much fun to shoot. Uh, Kevin Johnson, the guy that directed it, uh, he's done a lot of like the Fit for a King uh, stuff lately. And 
just really, really creative, really easy to work with. Uh, we ended up having dinner and hanging out after. Loved, loved hanging. Um, but anyway, sorry, I got distracted because <laughs> like, of the, the, the fandom of that dude. But yeah, Fissure is a great song. It just is like all of my favorite components of heavy music kind of smashed into one. And Shane, Shane's just a genius. Uh, personally, keep your eyes peeled. Uh, you can follow me on all social media platforms at Webster Happens. And um, I'm working on some songs that I wrote myself. A lot of the encouragement of investing in 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 the one uh is coming out of that and i'm terrified which people tell me is a good sign but i'm still still working through those i have no tentative date but the goal is early next year and uh follow me for the shenanigans i don't post much because culturally what's happening but like if you want some of sleeper merch or something to do with t-style i know another buddy um from way, way back in the day, he's doing a thing called For the Nomads. Uh, they've been doing rounds of auctions, raising money for crew members and other people who work in the music industry that are still out of work. Uh, he's done some incredible, incredible things there. I want to say the last time I looked, they were coming up on like, they've raised 300 grand or something, which is really rad. And, and you know, and the things that we said, if you want to invest, like, those guys that aren't artists, but are absolutely paramount in us making things go the way that they're supposed to on tour. They're definitely worth investing in. And, you know, I'm just going to be another one of those voices. Uh, make sure you vote. Absolutely. Yeah. Just, just be easy on yourself. You know, we, we are living in something now that our kids are going to read in their history books and, you know, we don't really know the right answers and give yourself some space, take a deep breath, go easy on the guy next to you. Cause he's having the same go of it. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> always, always, yeah. The ending, ending this stuff always makes me laugh. Cause I feel like I've talked for too long already, but I still, feel thousands of things i want to say so <laughs> yeah i well i just really appreciate it so much um it was a pleasure talking to you you're awesome i really love your vibes always uh knowledgeable and thanks just for sharing sharing everything yeah. with us and um yeah i hope we can get together soon uh maybe we'll just have to go to nashville whenever all this is done um, yeah dude come eat some barbecue dang and some banana pudding <laughs> dude i i think it's cool you like that that those like squishy fruit desserts i'm <laughs> i'm just not that that's not my jam but i'm always happy when people love them so i'll yeah. i'll make sure i'll make sure we have that on tap if we if we go eat because there's a bunch of newer places that have opened up since since then so we will do a little barbecue tour yeah i'm down I'm down for it. All right, man. Well, you have a good night, and it was a pleasure too, again, and I'll talk to you later. Absolutely. Until Bye. next time. Until next time. That's wild. Nashville is so beautiful. Um, we went there, like, on a tour, and it was so clean, and it was just 
I had really good uh, food too. <laughs> yeah, what'd you what'd you end up eating? Uh, it was a barbecue place, and it was across the street from one of the music shops. Like I don't know, I don't remember the the street. It was probably Edley's, and you were at Forks. Probably that sounds familiar, and I just remember like them having some really good banana pudding. Yep. Yeah, that was definitely Edwin's. <laughs> nice. No, that's yeah. It's I mean, it's kind of funny though. The, you know, because everybody everybody fights in Texas about Texas barbecue being the best, and then up here it's Memphis, but like Tennessee barbecue is Memphis barbecue is the best, and then we're we're like spitting distance from St. Louis, who they're like, oh, but it's all about our ribs, and and it's yeah. fun. There's this like there's this battle bit about um who's really the best and the truth is it's just best for the people who eat barbecue because we get to eat (laughs) absolutely uh i remember even like uh seth west just always talking up north carolina barbecue Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's all good and it's funny they'll tell you they'll be like well hold on (laughs) <laughs> we're talking about our pulled pork and you're like okay so i can a little bit of this texas brisket memphis ribs like okay 